This is The Guardian. Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Who knew the significance of two goalless draws on the WSL title race and from two teams who brought us such drama on deadline day? Chelsea are the benefactors of Arsenal and Manchester United dropping points while Liverpool pull away from the relegation places. It felt like a defining weekend in the WSL and in the Championship. We'll discuss all that plus look ahead to the Champions League draw and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, what a panel we have today. Susie Rack, I feel like I've seen you more in the past two weeks than I have my own husband. Same, same. My husband's working shifts, so I also feel like I've seen you more than I've seen him. Oh, well, it's been a good two weeks then, hasn't it? For both of us. (laughs) Robin Cowan, it feels like an age since I've seen you. How are you? Ages. Yeah, all good, you know, alive and sort of kicking all good <laughs> I mean that, that's two things to bounce up and down and, and think that you are successful I would say Alive <laughs> exactly and, and just about kicking and Marva Creel an Everton fan with a smile on their face that is a rare thing to to see how are you Good, yeah, definitely rare especially in both men's and women's this weekend so yeah happy for once <laughs> Absolutely. Right. What an end to the transfer window we had and the narrative to go straight from deadline day into Arsenal and Manchester United dropping points. Couldn't write that. Uh, We'll start with looking at that attempt to sign Alessia Russo before talking about whether it affected both teams. Susie, Jonas Eideval said after last week's FA Cup game against Leeds that Arsenal were pushing hard to get a striker. I mean, they certainly pushed hard, but no success, ultimately. What did you make of their attempts to bring both Russo and Signe Brun to the club? I mean, desperate um, is the word, isn't it? Like, I get it, particularly Russo. Like, I get it. I think they will definitely go in for her in the summer, which would be a wise thing to do, as would every club in the world um, be looking at a striker of her quality being out of contract. But... um, I know they were going after other players earlier in the window, Dabina, Chloe Lucas, players like that. But um, to sort of launch such a late bid for Russo, I mean, I, I think it's a big mistake. I mean, I talked about it being disruptive, both to United and to Arsenal. And I mean, maybe we've seen that almost instantly in the fact that both teams dropped points uh, this weekend. But I think for the, the bigger thing is that they haven't got a striker which like a like real standout world-class striker in the window which is a big problem I mean the market is tiny for for a player of that quality in January so that's a really tough ask but they also have told the world that they have quite a lot of money to burn which I think is like hugely risky going into the summer I mean pretty much every player they go for is going to be uh, every club is going to be looking for close to world record fees on the basis of their alleged bids for Russo. So I think on balance, it probably wasn't the smartest move that's ever been made. Um, I just think the likelihood of them prizing her away was beyond zero. Like there's no way Man United could have sold her in the context of the title race and their ambitions long term. Like I think it would have killed the club I mean how would they be able to sign anyone in the summer having let a player go and thrown 
likely thrown their title race attempt consciously uh, away. I mean, it just would have completely screwed them. So I just like they, regardless of the money, no matter how much money it is, Man United do not need half a million. Uh, the women's team obviously would like that, but um, the club as a whole can can afford to weather that for the sake of the the context. I think so. Yeah, a stupid move. Stupid move from Arsenal. Smart move maybe though from Manchester United. Robin, it was a big statement, and you know perhaps brave turning down that money, even though when you look at the the context of Manchester United as an entity, perhaps uh, brave is not the right word, but the right decision maybe. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I agree with everything Susie just said. I think, I mean, had they sold her to Arsenal, that would have just been, I mean, not in just the actual physical sort of, you know, giving one of the best strikers, you know, in women's football to a title rival, but just the optics would have been awful. Just just gone, oh, okay, actually, you know, actually prefer this money, which yes, as Susie pointed out, for the club as a whole, is pocket money, let's be honest, for Manchester United. So it just seems so unrealistic and, yeah, desperate. And it's 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 bad for Arsenal because they've ended up pursuing someone who, I mean, they would never have given her to, to Arsenal probably for any sort of money. So it was just a bit of a waste of time, I feel, for Arsenal. And as we'll talk about, I mean, that the, the fact they haven't got a striker in. No, obviously... the. It, it's not just all on a number nine, but it might cost them a, not just the title, but again, another trophyless season. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, isn't it? And actually, I think when you look at the Champions League for Manchester United, it's vital, bearing in mind the season that they've had, that they make the Champions League next season. You can't get into the Champions League without a player like Alessia Russo. And then ultimately, I'm sure they'd like to keep hold of her and put a new contract on the table for her in the summer as well. Marva, we haven't even mentioned Chelsea's surprise, left field, and again, ultimately unsuccessful bid for Katie McCabe, which was a bit random. Yeah, very random, um, especially as Chelsea are one team you say depth-wise aren't struggling too much compared to other teams. Um, I think Arsenal made definitely the correct decision. One, because obviously Chelsea is a big rival. You do not want to do that, but... I think especially seeing, and we'll get into it in terms of Arsenal and the characters in their team, but McCabe, I mean, she's just top character there, even if she's not playing as much currently. The significance of selling her to your rival, let alone someone like McCabe in the dressing room, you know, you sort of already lost Jordan Nobbs, who, again, someone who wasn't playing that regularly, but still is such a big character in that dressing room. So, bit cheeky, bit cheeky from Chelsea, but then... Also can't really call them that cheeky when Arsenal have gone and done the same thing really to United. Um, but yeah, I think think right decision all round. Yeah, cheeky better than random, I think. is the. Uh, it's not quite, <laughs> not quite random when you think about what, what Katie McCabe would be able to do for, for Chelsea. But it, it kind of ended up being a really exciting transfer window, which we don't have in, in January that often. Well, what do you all make of the increased attention on all of it, Susie? Yeah, I, like... Transfer windows, it's rare that they're particularly exciting in women's football, I would say, because so many kind of leave and come and go on freeze and the introduction of growing transfer fees. And I'd say the the increased intensity in the rival between top sides as well is adding a little bit of spice to things. Obviously, the World Cup is a big player too. You know, when you see Beth England, Jordan Nobbs, Lucy Staniforth all make moves to look for first team football, then, you know, you've got a 
a like much more interesting spread of teams benefiting uh, from some big names moving. And we're already seeing the fruits of that labour, as we've talked about. So, yeah, like real, real exciting window. I like one of the things that I think that gets a little bit overlooked amid the Russo chat is that I think Arsenal have actually had a pretty good window. You know, Victoria Pulova, Catherine Cole, and Sabrina D'Angelo, that, you know, they're decent signings. And they're also ones that look to the future a little bit. But I mean, I think they're signings for next season more than anything, given you know their age and uh, the time it's going to take them to properly settle into WSL. And yes, Arsenal need something for now. But I think when you've got Beth Mead and Viviana Mead are injured, you know you look at any team in the top flight and you you take players of, of that caliber out of the equation, and you're you're unlikely to win a trophy. So like. If Arsenal finish trophyless, there's an explanation there. It's not like it's just completely random. And yes, they didn't sign anyone in January, but as in sign a big striker in January, but they have built for next season and they just need to pull in a player of that calibre in the summer. So I don't think all is lost if they don't win a trophy. And then, I mean, yeah, like really exciting transfer window. Like you say, there's some big players moving around. I thought Leicester's signings were were excellent uh, on the weekend and you know, made a big difference to that game and their performance. Um, and we've seen some real, real talent come into into the league as well from from the US in Brighton as well too. What do you think about the increased eyes on the transfers, Robin? It felt as if everybody kind of got swept up. And I'm always really, you know, I don't get too excited about the transfer window. You know, as, as a journalist, I roll my eyes with all the speculation going on and, uh, you know, agents feeding lines left, right and centre. But, but what did you make of it? Yeah, I'm, the, I'm similar, actually. I'm like, just tell me when they've signed. I don't, I don't really look at rumours and all that. I find it very, very tedious. But I think the fact that it was kind of clubs, the thing that really piqued everyone's interest, it was rival clubs in the same division trying to pinch each other's players. That's the kind of, that's the real soap opera drama of it that really got things interesting. But it's just great that, you know, the increased coverage generally, I think, you know, on, on Sky Sports, they had a picture of Russo alongside, you know, Enzo Fernandez, And that's great. You know, people were genuinely interested in, in the sort of saga of that. So I think just in terms of the coverage, despite finding it slightly annoying generally transfer talk it's all good if it's alongside sort of you know the big money moves of of, uh, of the Premier League although it does again it kind of just shows I mean that half a million pounds for Alessia Russo and um, just Chelsea men's general spend on just one player still uh still quite a quite a chasm there yeah terrifying <laughs> yeah yeah uh, um, after all that deadline day excitement, though, the last thing any of us, I think, probably expected was for the two clubs at the centre of all the drama and the soap opera to play out goalless draws. Although maybe we did expect that after what we've just said. Arsenal held by West Ham on Sunday night while United couldn't get the better of Everton earlier on in the day. Um, Susie, we'll start at the Chigwell Construction Stadium. How much of uh, Arsenal's performance do you think comes down to not getting that striker? I mean... 21 shots without a goal sort of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Um, It's a big blow. I think I said uh, last time we were on that I think that like the uh, lack of like a a real sort of world-class centre-forward would show in the games against the big teams after the draw with Chelsea. It's pretty bad that it's now showing against teams a little bit further down the table. You know, you, you, you have that many opportunities. Um, and I, I know Jonas said afterwards, you know, I'd be more worried if we weren't creating. But 
in the context of the fact that they've got this group of forwards that are good enough to score and aren't scoring is for me a bigger problem you know it's not like a one-off it's not that they need time to gel these are players that have been playing a part in this team for a while now Stina Blackstinius Caitlin Ford Frieda Manham's goals have dried up Lena Hurtig when she gets on you know just can't get the ball on target and they're huge problems and for me they they should be incredibly worried I mean he's probably not going to come out and go oh no yeah <laughs> I'm really worried about my strikers they do it they're, they're doing terribly but yeah like I think the, the lack of an out and out like a centre forward where the ball falls at their feet and you think they are going to score um like you just think they are not going to miss like they don't have that kind of player they have a, they have players that the ball comes to them and you think well this could go either way likely uh likely one way and not the other um the other being the back of the net so for me it's it's like the glaringly obvious problem obviously Mackenzie Arnold was decent in the West Ham goal but I also think that a lot of the saves weren't that hard to make um like it was a similar problem to against Chelsea the shots on target were often very very near uh the goalkeeper so for me that's that's the bigger problem like they, they just need to keep their strikers on the trading pitch firing the ball at the net um, and avoiding the goalkeeper. I mean, like, that's as simple as it is, isn't it? Like, But they wear bright colours. Why would you not just kick the ball right at them? <laughs> um, I was going to ask you this, Marva, because uh, it's an interesting debate of where you put this game in terms of the spectrum of West Ham being good to keep Arsenal out and Mackenzie Arnold shining in particular, as Susie said. Or Arsenal just being a little bit wasteful and failing to put West Ham under enough pressure? Yeah, I mean, I'll go for the cliche of it's a bit of both, really, because I think, like Susie said, Mackenzie Arnold, great game, but there were too many opportunities that she shouldn't have had a great game for that. They should have sorted it past her. I think Marnham had two early on in the in the first half, which were just clear goal opportunities. But I thought West Ham played, they knew what they wanted to do. They definitely knew what they wanted to do. I think the first half, they were a bit more daring, showed a bit more threat on the counter-attack. And then the second half, they were like, nah, we don't we don't need to do this anymore. Let's just try and get that that one point, um, which they did successfully. And you can't knock them for that. So I think they started their game plan very, very well. I thought Sissoko had a, had a very good game and Arnold too. But yeah, Arsenal, it's getting to that point now where I think even if they had their their best players there, it's a point in the season where you need everyone to step up. And it's mentality-wise still a difficult thing for even those at the very top to be like, right, we're in a title battle now. We've seen Chelsea. Even just seeing Chelsea at the top of the table is scary because they're not going to let that go. So let alone for those sort of players who aren't really at the top, they not only do they have to step up and step into the boots of Mead, Amar and Mead, but they've also now got to do that extra work of really stepping up for the title challenge. And that's not an easy thing to do for the top players, let alone those who are sort of not quite at the top yet either. Yeah, Arsenal have a massive month coming up as well, Robin. They play Manchester City twice this week. Continental Cup semi-final on Wednesday, then the league on Saturday. They've now drawn Chelsea in the FA Cup fifth round at the end of the month as well. What do you think the expectations for Jonas Eideval and his team are right now? Well, this is the thing. I mean, that is they, they could realistically be out of both domestic cups and that would be, you know, pretty tough to take given the start they made to the league season at least. And Marv put it beautifully. It's mentality, like with finishing... 
Miedemar looks like she's never felt any pressure in her entire life. She's just like so casual and that's why she puts these goals away so easily. Whereas it's almost like, because I have no doubt they're technically good enough to be scoring more goals. It feels like it could be a sort of almost a pressure thing because especially now we're getting to that stage of the season where Arsenal were playing last and they saw that Man United slipped up a little bit and Chelsea, you know, they could have. So they kind of had to win. They had to win. They can't drop points against West Ham and and, and they, they didn't win. So, yeah, it's it's a tough, tough old time. And this is where Jonas Edeval really got to earn his money. He's got a kind of... It's, it's, I don't think it's to do with tactics or, or how good they are as footballers. It's almost kind of a psychological thing. They've got to believe that they can put pressure on Chelsea. But, and yeah, I think Susie's right. Like I, I, I kind of bought the, I'm not worried we're creating chances when it was against Chelsea, but that's twice now in the WSL that that's happened. So it seems like there's becoming more of a pattern, which is, is slightly concerning. Yeah, psychologically could have been worse for Arsenal though, but they already knew that Manchester United had dropped points earlier on in the day, so it didn't dent them perhaps as much as it could have done. Mark Skinner's side played out a goalless draw with Everton. How big is this result, Susie, when we're looking not just at the title race, but also the hunt for Champions League? Oh, huge. I mean, it opens door for Manchester City, right? And like they have been sniffing up the table and around the edge of the um, the Champions League places, uh, for the majority of the season now after their like early stutter and looked really good um, at the weekend as well again like really building up some consistency you know no changes in January that you know kind of would have potentially disrupted the momentum of what was a, a pretty uh, turned over team in the summer so like if I'm Man United I'm looking over my shoulder as much as um, Mark Skinner tries to say he's you know only focused on them and only focused on their results. Um, you know, they have never finished above Man City. And I think it's going to be a really, really exciting end of the season in terms of Champions League spaces, perhaps more than the title race now, because once Chelsea get a stranglehold at the top, they just don't don't relinquish it for anything. So, yeah, like for me, you know, you've got obviously City playing Arsenal twice as well. That is going to swing I would say likely momentum in City's favour in terms of Champions League places. And then you've got a straight fight out between them and United for um, second and third. And I think that will be a very, very exciting battle. Yeah, most definitely. And is there a bit of increased pressure perhaps on Manchester United, Robin, bearing in mind they've, they've chosen to keep Alessia Russo and you would think that that would then give them the edge in all of the ambitions that they have this season? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they've they've kept her again, I don't um, people were kind of saying, oh, you know, what's what's her state of mind? I don't get the impression this would affect her at all because I don't think she's unhappy there. You know, she might be thinking about what she's going to do next, perhaps, but I don't think her focus would have would have waned. You know, I think for this one, I think they were just a bit unlucky because they they battered Everton. <laughs> they absolutely battered. I mean, credit to Everton. They the new managers clearly got them much more organised and that's a credit to them. But again, a bit like Arsenal, they had a, Man United had a close call against Reading, didn't they? It took a worldie from Williams to come off the bench. So, you know, just, just signs that maybe the goals are starting to drop a little bit. And again, yeah, I mean, this is a test of their character because, you know, they were top of the league. That win against Arsenal in, at the Emirates made, 
you know, they were talking about the title, whereas now suddenly, just this weekend, and uh, we're talking about, are they going to make the Champions League? I mean, it's really exciting for us. But um, yeah, this is a test of of United's character because this has happened before, hasn't it? They've started well in seasons and then just dropped off towards the end. So can they stay the course? It's the big question. I just don't understand why they're not making more changes as well. Like they've got a really decent bench, but they're sticking very, very rigidly to this, this Sabina Wiegmann style starting 11. But a season is a, a really long time. And, you know, they're clearly, I think it was there more than Arsenal, 25 shots on target or something like that. But like, Clearly, there's um, you know issues there. So, so why aren't you turning to your bench to sort of lift that? Obviously, they bought on Nikita Paris and Rachel Williams, but they're they're sort of tried and tested WSL players um, who you know aren't necessarily your game changers. Although Rachel Williams did do that last week, but um, you know, in terms of like you know Boarisa, Tunkara, Cascarino, you know, new signings, like what? Why aren't we seeing more of them? That's that's my big question. It's like, and I think a lot of the fans are sort of clamouring for for that to see some of those players coming on. You know, you look at Arsenal; they made like you know, four or five changes at the weekend, really delved into their bench to try and find that result. Man United aren't really doing that so much, and are very much sticking with that eleven. And I like, just don't think you can necessarily do that across the course of an entire season. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Um, Marva, I know you're desperate to talk about Everton, although you did nod along when Robin was saying that Manchester United perhaps should have uh, should have won that. And perhaps it wasn't your biggest result of the weekend as an Everton fan, but <laughs> all in all, a good weekend to be a toffee. Bearing in mind that they lost 3-0 in the reverse fixture, how much of a mark does this show how far Everton have come under Brian Sorensen? Yeah, definitely. I mean, battered's maybe slightly harsh. I think we had a we had a slight chance to to win it even at the end, but um, definitely I would like to see the XG stats on that because I think um, yeah, in in that sense we did get battered, but um, it's still a massive improvement from the reverse fixture because even in terms of when we tried to counter, we had a plan, we knew what we were doing. I think the first sort of 15 20 minutes was a really good game actually the whole game was really good actually but the first sort of 20 minutes was really competitive between both teams we held the ball well when we did get the ball as the game went on we started to maybe get tired legs and sort of give away easy easy mistakes really to to man united who didn't punish us they did sort of hit the post and then come very very close multiple times but yeah i think we can still be proud of of that performance and that's that's the next step up for us um what I thought this season was going to be for us was kind of being the best of the rest where we could having it a little bit you know it's not not necessarily winning every game but kind of since that defeat to West Ham at the beginning of the season we have won pretty much every game against the best of the rest which was surprising for me to see and then going that extra step now of can we get a few points off of the top three the top four um I thought we came quite close against Man City um, in that two one, although again probably wasn't really deserved, but we've we've just we're starting to stay in games more. And I think once you when you're staying in games, there's always a chance at the end, like we saw with Jess Park, who if she had just shot rather than try and round the goalkeeper, that would have been three points for us. I was screaming, head in my hands, but um, it was still really encouraging signs from from Sorensen's team here. Yeah, and like Courtney Brosnan as well, like stepping up and putting in a performance like that whilst Emily Ramsey is unable to play against her parent club was huge too. I mean, they're, they've they got some real goalkeeping talent in their ranks. 
Yeah, going to be interesting to see. We've talked for for quite a while about what Everton can do in the, in the future. Perhaps this is uh, this is those green shoots coming back up again. Uh, right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll talk about Chelsea's nervy win over Spurs that put them top of the table, as well as checking in with the rest of the WSL and the Championship. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Tottenham 2, Chelsea 3. Chelsea going clear at the top of the league, but had to get through a few nervous moments, first of all. Not the first time we've said that this season. They went 1-0 up thanks to Jess Carter's header, but Bethany England fresh from getting engaged. Congratulations, uh, scored. Didn't celebrate the equaliser, classy individual. Uh, Lauren James's individual excellence, followed by Guru Wrighton going through one-on-one giving Chelsea a 3-1 lead, but still time for Nicola Kachuska to pull one back to make it 3-2. Um, <laughs> it felt, Susie, as if this match kind of stole all the goals from the rest of the games of the weekend. Back-to-back 3-2 results for Chelsea after they struggled past Liverpool in the FA Cup as well. They're usually defensively solid. Is this becoming a bit of a problem for them this season? I mean, it has been a problem for them all season in that, like, they've not really got a, a completely settled back line. I don't think Adisha Buchanan has properly settled in in the way maybe they perhaps would have hoped. Um, and I think that perhaps speaks to um, how little defending defenders have to do at Leon. But I thought it was interesting that it was a completely changed back line for this game. Well, not completely changed, but a real shifted around back line for this game. You know, you've got Jess Carter and Neve Charles as full-backs. You've not got uh, Magda Eriksson in there. They're trying to find their best back line. And I think that is why they bid for Katie McCabe. Um, because they've not really got any sort of... I mean, I'm pretty sure Katie McCabe prefers playing further forward. But they've not really got any sort of natural uh, full-backs that really fit into that team of sort of world-class quality in the way that Kate McKay provides. And the fact that Magda Eriksson has been playing their soft in this season speaks to that. Um, the frustrating thing is that they just are so efficient, regardless of uh, whether they're not looking particularly great, isn't it? Like, I mean, another win um, when they're not playing their best. And there's just a relentlessness about Chelsea that is is frustrating for fans of any other team in the league um where it's a mentality thing isn't it they just they just always believe that they're going to win and they're going to score like quite us uh, style mentality i think what's worse susie is that they they kind of give you a bit of hope don't they by giving up stupid goals and you're like oh maybe they have got a chink in their armor and then no they don't <laughs> it's like they do it on purpose this chelsea team it's just but they do it every time and i it's almost like we're on this call, aren't we? Are we all resigned now to because that's it, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. They'll have a few nervy, maybe a few nervy moments, like within individual games. But we think that's it now, don't we? Because Chelsea just know how to see this out. We do because of their history. You can't help but not. But equally, this game and others that they've had this season show that they've got frailties. Yeah, but they do this. They do this. They tease you. <laughs> and then they end up winning. <laughs> this is what happened. It's the hope that kills you. It's the hope exactly. That kills you. But I actually, they, when I looked at how many clean sheets they've had this season, um, I don't have it to hand, but it's really not that many. I think they, they have been much more easy to score against generally. But unlike, you know, especially this weekend, Arsenal and Man United, they have forwards, not just forwards, just pretty much anyone on that team can score. And they have that ruthlessness and that 
you know, they're, they're just clinical. So, yeah, it's almost like we can close the book now. It's another <laughs> yet another title for Chelsea, unfortunately. I know we like to big things up, but um, I can't see them letting this go. I can't tell you the number of clean sheets off the top of my head, but they've uh, conceded 11 goals. Manchester United and Arsenal only conceded six each. So, yeah, they're quite a way behind in terms of um, their defence and, and solidity. We've got to give some time, though, to talk about Lauren James, Marva. Um, six goals this season in all competitions. It was a it was another beaut of an individual effort, although Emma Hayes just never lets her get too much praise, does she? She's always, <laughs> always just got to say, yeah, but she's still got work to do. <laughs> do you think that's unfair? Or has she has she got a point? I would be amiss to criticise Emma Hayes and her her man managing and coaching style. So I think she she knows how to get the best out of her players, and that's probably how to get the best out of Lauren James. I mean, she's so young still. You kind of forget when you watch her how young she actually is, and she's just incredible to watch. I do love that Emma Hayes particularly said about her tracking back. I think the um the the last goal as well. You could argue that that if if they had tracked back more than that wouldn't have happened. And like we said, it's been where they've, you know, been, I don't want to say failing, but more so than than other aspects of their game is, is letting in goals. But Lauren James is just incredible. Like her ability to manoeuvre the ball while still staying so strong and physical and then have the finished product as well is just actually incredible. I think she's she's going to be possibly the best player in the world. I don't think she's far from it. Um, in that that Arsenal-Chelsea game where it was a really cagey game but any moment Lauren James got on the ball the whole Emirates was just sort of on the edge of their seat waiting to see what she would do and it's it's a joy to watch but yeah I, I like that from Emma Hayes. Yeah we talked earlier about effortless players she's definitely an effortless player it feels she just glides across the pitch. Leicester City nil, Manchester City 2 goals from Bunny Shaw and Chloe Kelly a hard fought 2-0 win over Leicester thanks to some inspired saves from Janina Leitzig. Susie, we mentioned in in part one that Arsenal have to play City twice this week. Where do you think they are in relation to Arsenal and the top of the table more generally right now? In a really strong position. Um, Like There's consistency there. They've got the players that can get them goals when they need it. Like the fact that Chloe Kelly is off the mark for the first time in the league this season. I mean, I think she's spoken in interviews about not having been completely comfortable after coming back from injury and the World Cup and things. And it's, it's taken her a little bit of time to actually feel like she's properly fit and, you know, re- like ready again, despite the fact that she's been playing so regularly. But like her getting on the score sheet, huge, huge boost. But they just look like things are starting to click. It's a hugely strong position. I like At the moment, in my mind, they're finishing top three and it's Arsenal that are missing out. Um, given the loss of uh, Midema and Smeet, I just can't can't see Arsenal being able to get through two City fixtures with um, with enough goals to win those games. And I don't see City dropping many points in the final stages of the season. Can I just say, I looked up at the Zoom just as you said that and we all raised our eyebrows. <laughs> it just reminded me of an advert that's on at the moment um, for, for a fast food brand. It's like, oh, <laughs> Um, interesting we might have to clip that up Susie and uh, and replay that at the end of the season from an Arsenal fan as well unbelievable 
Oh, I would be delighted if I'm jinxing it. Remember, my predictions are terrible. So, you know, this is this. I mean, it could all be a conscious plan, but no, it's it's really not. I do genuinely think that. <laughs> Leicester, though, Janina Leitzig on loan from Bayern Munich in, in January. She already looks like the best player in their squad, Robin. But even beyond that, really, it feels as if Willie Kirk's side are finally moving in the right direction. Oh, definitely. Just might be a little bit too late, unfortunately. But since coming back from, you know, the Christmas break, they've been markedly better and not just defensively. I mean, first of all, it just fills my heart when I see a goalkeeping performance in the women's game like that because she was sensational. She was so good. But yeah, I mean, and they had a couple of good chances. Hannah Kane denied twice by, by Ellie Roebuck. So actually they are starting to to create chances. I just wonder, as I say, it just might be a little bit too late for them to make this charge. I think the only, because of, um, and we'll get onto it later, but Brighton getting that point and then they might be able to reeling Reading perhaps. But I mean, it was an impressive performance considering it was against a Man City side who were, you were definitely, you know, they can go on these runs of just winning, 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 winning. And um, yeah, I mean, it, as I say, I think performance wise, it was good. But at this moment, they need a bit more of that. And I just think, I mean, obviously they will have, games where they see a bit more of the ball. But when you, I think they had 26% possession. And when you see that little of the ball, it's going to be very hard when you're scored against to get anything out of it. Um, but as I say, they'll, they'll have games where they see more of the ball and maybe we'll be able to see a little bit more of their attacking intent. Yeah, you can certainly tell that he's, he's, he's done a job since Christmas, as you say, and not long to wait to talk about Aston Villa Brighton because it's next Aston Villa 1 Brighton 1 uh, an important point for Brighton as Julia Ulmer equalized following Kaylee Green's own goal 5 points ahead of Leicester at the bottom they've got a game in hand as well Marva obviously Villa aren't the same level necessarily of Manchester United and Arsenal but how much does this result show everyone starting to feel the strain of the season perhaps yeah, maybe, but I think it, it's also um, across the board. I think this this weekend was a good one for for goalkeepers, um, as we saw in, in the Leicester game as well. And I think when you raise that standard of goalkeeping, where there's been a, a bit of a, a gap between the top clubs and the lower clubs in the league, it means that games are just a bit more open for the taking because it's less that you know every every shot on goal is going to result into a goal. But I think with the the Villa game, it was a case of. It was just a lack of concentration at the end. They Villa should have won that game. Um, gifted, gifted them really. But it's a big point, massive point for Brighton in the relegation battle. I think every point is so so vital when it gets to this stage, and and so few games in the WSL um, that it's it's going to be a really tough one for for Leicester to catch up to them now. Yeah, five points ahead of Leicester, as I said, Brighton. And actually, that was the first point for Jens Schuer since he took over from Hope Powell in terms of WSL points. But what's different about his Brighton team, Susie, versus Hope Powell's Brighton team? It just looked like they've got an idea of what they're doing. I mean, and a bit of love for the game again. Um, I think under Hope towards the end, they just all looked a little bit done. Like I think that's the biggest thing is like new manager coming in, shifting things around a little bit, has just given them a little bit of fire back in their bellies. Um, And, you know, that's not necessarily the fault of Hope Howe that that was gone. I think just towards the end of tenures that when things aren't quite going to plan, heads drop, don't they? A new manager can shift things. They brought in some decent quality players as well, like in January. And I think, you know, having um, players of real experience uh, around 
a team like Brighton is a big help. You know, you look at Lydia Williams coming in from PSG or Brie Vasali, who has obviously WSL experience and NWSL experience, then the likes of Georgia Fox um, on loan from Chelsea. Like these are a really talented, solid players that bring a level of solidity to the group, I would say, as a whole. Um, yeah, just just a bit more of a plan and a bit of a bit of a better mentality, I would say. Interesting. Liverpool 2, Reading 0. Finally, Liverpool scoring two quick-fire goals to beat Reading, Missy Bocairns and Kerry Holland. Securing the three points for Matt Beard's side, that pushes them up to eighth, eight points clear of Leicester. And Robin, perhaps one of the more underrated January signings has been Fuka Nagano, who slotted right into this Liverpool midfield. Looked really impressive. And they actually recruited quite heavily in January. Can we see them pushing further up the table or is this about right for them? Uh, probably about right for them for this season. Um, they just don't want a bit of a nervy finish, I guess. They just want to go about their business and, and you know, pick up points against these sorts of teams. And, you know, after the absolute battering they took, it's been actually a fairly good good response. They had a good six minutes against Chelsea that I saw before it was all <laughs> frozen off. <laughs> they started well. Um, <laughs> perhaps they had slightly better boots than the other team. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, I think they have recruited well. Matt Beard clearly has a lot of, with his previous sort of job as Boston Breakers manager, he's got a lot of contacts in the NWSL, so he recruited heavily from there. They're technically very good players. And I agree, Nagano looks looks very composed um, and that's maybe what they needed after they've got quite a few young players like Missy Bo Kearns and, and and all that. So no, a, a good win for them. You know, it could have been slightly different. I think Emma Harry's hit the bar before they scored their first goal for Reading. So, you know, it's fine margins, but, you know, they'll they'll take that three points and it's, it's Reading who, who are the ones that might just be looking over their shoulders a little bit at, at Leicester. Yeah, it does feel like Kelly Chambers' side are kind of walking that tightrope at the moment, Marva. Um, only four points ahead of Leicester. Leicester have two games in hand, which is a big concern for Kelly Chambers. They also loaned Natasha Dowie to Liverpool, but have brought in their former academy player, Tanaya Alexander. It feels as if they could get, I mean, they're already, I was about to say they could get sucked into this very quickly. They're already in it, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. And, and way more so than Liverpool, um, not even just on, on points. But I think uh, the manner in which they're losing games when they do, there's there's been a few where they either go ahead or they're, they're in it. They look strong and then they just don't take those chances. And, and you saw it with, with this game as well, where both teams were kind of evenly matched for a good part of the game. Um, and it's, it's just that finishing quality right at the end. And when you're somewhat in a relegation battle, they're the kind of chances you need to take, especially against the sort of lower mid-table teams, because you, of course you're going to struggle against any anyone sort of above sixth place, really. So you've, you've got to be trying to make the most of those chances. But in the same breath, obviously, Leicester have the bigger job to do. So they should be OK, I think. But it, they are, them and Brighton are definitely the ones in it. And I think Liverpool are very much out of it now. Oh, and shout out to that Megan Campbell monster throw. That is always an absolute joy to watch, isn't it? I love any kind of monster throw. I just, I, I wish I had the shoulder 
energy myself to be it. able to do it, I think I would just <laughs> the ball would fall back behind my head when I tried <laughs> to give it any momentum whatsoever. Well, one of those three teams potentially could be in the championship next season. And I tell you what, they'll have a, a tough job getting out of it because it's been so competitive this season. Um, this weekend, Charlton needed a 97th minute winner from Arsenal Academy product Alex Hennessy to beat Coventry. Bristol City dropped points in a goalless draw at Blackburn. It's catching, isn't it? These goalless draws. It's getting so tight at the top. London City Lionesses bounce back from their FA Cup loss to Tottenham to stay at the summit with a 3-1 win over Sunderland. And the top two... Bristol City and London City Lionesses play each other in that rearranged fixture on Wednesday night, which could put the momentum shift uh, one way or the other. Meanwhile, a Jade Pennock hat-trick helped Birmingham to an impressive 4-0 win away at sixth place. Lewis, Southampton beat Crystal Palace 2-0 and Jess Clark scored an 89th minute winner for Durham against Sheffield United, who are struggling just above Coventry at the bottom of the table. Um, right, from the Championship to the Champions League uh, the draw is on Friday. Chelsea and Arsenal find out their quarterfinal opponents. Uh, Susie, best and worst case scenario for both, what would you say? I mean, best case scenario for Arsenal is, and for any team I think that has won their group is Roma. You know, a brilliantly talented team, but also a team that is, let's say at the start of their journey um, is probably the nicest way to put it. Like they are the weak team of the group in terms of worst case. I mean, any of the others are worst case scenario, like against a German side, maybe Bayern Munich, like up against Georgia Stanway, they lack a fight. I would say that's probably worst case scenario and balance between them and PSG um, for Chelsea. Again, Roma, Best case, worst case. Oh, uh, yeah, probably Bayern as well. Like Leon have been patchy this season, so maybe perhaps you could see them edging past Leon in the same way that that Arsenal were able to get the better of them earlier on in the season. But yeah, probably the same. Probably Roma and Bayern for both. Mm. Robin, you commentate on on the Champions League. Are you excited about it returning? Oh yeah, because it's all. I mean, every matchup is just such a you know, it's heavyweight, isn't it? And you get the absolute best players on show. It's uh and it is a difficult one to call. I think because obviously we we concentrate on the on our domestic lead in England quite a lot. We we obviously focus on the sort of weaknesses. But you never know, Susie. You never know. Um I know Arsenal probably aren't in, in as best shape as they were at the start of the season because of the injuries they've had, but we'll have to see. I mean, it'd be great if we have an English team go far in this competition. That's just my one hope. Um, whether it's Arsenal or Chelsea, we just like them to to go forward. Because actually, Susie, is that could that be an issue if they don't? I mean, in terms of getting more Champions League places or losing one, even is that an issue? I don't think it is at this stage. I think they're okay, but um, but it is always a worry. We've only just got three, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. You just wouldn't want to lose that one. No, definitely. Definitely. It takes, well, although it introduces even more jeopardy, if you like, into the WSL. Uh, Marva, could Chelsea or Arsenal win the Champions League based on domestic form this season? No, I'm going to say no, <laughs> but you, you never know. You never know. I think Chelsea, 
I almost liken Leon to kind of how Chelsea are in the domestic league where, you know, they start off, they can start off a bit patchy, but they have the mentality and they have the squad and they know what to do to then just just win it when they need to. Um, and as I sort of see that with Leon in the Champions League. I think it's going to be a tough one to beat them. But it, what's great to see this year is that there are so many other teams competing. I think that the level of the, the European heavyweights, as Robin said, is really, really improving. I think Bayern are going to be a big one to watch. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just kind of really excited to see any of the big matchups. But I think it might be a step too far t- for Arsenal, although maybe the pressure's kind of off for them in that sense compared to Chelsea. I think Chelsea, it's not a secret as much as Emma Hayes might, might sort of lessen it slightly but I think everyone knows that for them they've won it all they know how to win domestic cups that's kind of old news for them what they really want to go for is that Champions League and I think the pressure's on them whereas for Arsenal as we've said the kind of pressure isn't on them for anything now they've got their big two injuries that's a nice excuse um, and they can kind of just go in and, and enjoy themselves a little bit more I think. Yeah, absolutely. Right, listen, we can go off and enjoy ourselves now for the day. 8.30, look at that, Susie Rack. Bang on. Boom. Do I get a gold star for you? Oh, yeah, you get four gold stars. It means that I'm not going to be sprinting the school run and instead going to be walking briskly. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Enjoy. It's been a delight to see you, Robin Cowan. We need that play date in very soon. Oh, yes, please. Yes, I'm actually, um, we're going for our swimming lesson now. So pray for me. It's like trying to put a swimming suit on an octopus. It's not. This is not fun. <laughs> I, I feel your pain. Why did I sign up for this? <laughs> Marva, always a delight to see you. And I, I really would like to see you next time with another Toffee's smile on your face. That's, that's all we can hope for. We'll be back next week as the title race looks set to hot up even more as Manchester City play host to Arsenal. Well, we'll also be finding out on Friday who Arsenal and Chelsea have drawn in the Champions League quarterfinals. We'll also look ahead to the return of the Lionesses in the Arnold Clark Cup with Serena Wiegmann announcing her squad later on Tuesday. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmed. This is The Guardian. 